I have been gone from Wichita more in the last month than I've been in several years. Back and forth, up and down the road to Oklahoma, trying to make sure that things were being taken care of in regard to my father, my brother, and my parents' home that we're trying to get ready to market. All, all of those fun things that everybody gets to deal with at some point in life. The last week that I was gone, I returned and found different colors of sticket notes all over the world. They're all throughout the building. And messages from our children on Wednesday night, and we prayed for you. Had about a dozen of them on my office door. What a blessing that was. Didn't realize until I came in here later that they were also all over the pulpit. And I, I haven't removed them. I've rearranged them a little bit. You know, it's just encouraging to know that there are people praying for you, praying for your family. My personal favorite, though, I have no idea who wrote these, so if I embarrass a child, it is certainly not my intention. But I don't know that I ever got a note like this one. It was right in the middle of the surface of this pulpit, and it says, good luck on your sermon. You know, that just blessed my socks off. And I thought, you know, if things go well today, you can thank God for answering that child's prayer. And if they don't, blame me, okay? I got in the way of, of God's blessing. Well, you know, I look across this room, and I know that many of you walked in the door this morning saying, I know what today is. I know what today is. I've heard all of it before. You've already started to tune me out. Don't tune me out, folks. Some of you walked in the door and said, I've never been here at Thanksgiving time. I wonder what's going to happen today. Well, you're about to find out. Every now and again, and, and I, I try to do this every year, and it's just kind of become a, a part of my life, my routine, my heart, but I, I try to back away from what I normally do and say, you know, we need to be reminded that the kingdom of God is bigger than this building. The kingdom of God is bigger than what we see inside of our tunnel vision when we look at our local church and our church family and the area where we minister. The kingdom of God spans the globe. In fact, I'm going to go a step further and say the kingdom of God takes in all of the universe and all that is. It all belongs to him. But this is that special time of year when we get to stop and think about how we're going to do ministry here. And that includes budgeting. I know everybody says, oh, yeah. budgeting. But it's part of the process. It's how we do life together. And so, you know, tonight when we come back and have dinner, we're going to be distributing a proposed budget for the coming year. We'll have a couple of weeks to look that over. A week, uh, Sunday evening, we can discuss it, ask questions about it, and then we'll vote about it on a Sunday morning. But, you know, a local budget's just a small piece of how we function. And for those who didn't grow up in a Southern Baptist church, there are some unique things about Southern Baptist. And for those who maybe grew up in a Southern Baptist church, but you came from a different church, things function differently from one place to another. And so this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time and just try to explain how we work the mission together. And when I, when I say that, people say, well, what mission are you talking about? I'm talking about the mission that God has set us on. 
Now, when I say that, I want you to understand, we're going to go right to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read these verses because I think these verses explain the crux of the mission. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn it to Matthew chapter 28. You should know this passage. I've been disturbed this past year to read that statistically a lot of people don't understand that these verses are called the Great Commission. Okay, so I want everyone to look up. I want you to listen. This is the Great Commission. So if you ever get a phone call or a piece of mail from some Southern Baptist entity and it has a question on it, do you know what the Great Commission is? You tell them, yes. My pastor instructed me to say, yes. It's found at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, by the way, they'll ask you about 16 through 20, okay? That's the beginning of the passage, but I want us to focus in on verses 18 through 20. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, well, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, and just follow along with me, if you will. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would open our eyes to understand how big the work of your kingdom is. And I pray that you would lay upon each of our hearts a desire to be a part, a burden to engage, and a willingness to be used. Father, speak to us this morning. But we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I've always kind of been an old-fashioned fuddy-dud. Still am. I sit in courses in, in school and they tell me the first thing you need to do is take your church and write a mission statement. And my first response was, why? It seems to me the Lord already gave us our mission statement. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. That's what it's about. We don't need to try to do the work that the Lord has already done, but we do need to engage in the work as best we can. Now, this morning, I, I kind of want to run at this a little bit differently, but I, I just want to have a conversation with you if that's all right. We are a Southern Baptist church. When I say that, some people get alarmed. They think snakes and stuff like that. That has nothing to do with us, Okay. But if you look at the sign out by the street, you'll say that it, see that it says, Believers, Southern Baptist Church. Now, there's a reason why many of us are Southern Baptist, and we understand that. And some of you are sitting here and saying, well, I'm part of this church, but I didn't get that. I don't understand that. Well, let me explain it to you if I can, okay? One of the primary reasons or primary things that sets Southern Baptist apart from other Baptist groups is the way we do missions. The way we do missions. And when I say that, there's something I talk about quite a bit, and a lot of y'all look at me with confused looks. Some of you look and say, oh, I get it. It's called the cooperative program. And, and whenever I say that, people say, cooperative what? The cooperative program. 
Now, basically what this is, is simply a a channel through which 46,000 Southern Baptist churches have the opportunity to cooperate together in order to accomplish the kingdom mission. So that sounds kind of huge. It is. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars every year, okay? Every church has the opportunity to participate. No one tells a church what they give or how much they give. Every church has the opportunity to set it, whether they do it by a dollar amount, whether they do it by a percentage, whatever it is they choose to do. This has been going on since 1925, and guess what? It works. People from other denominations look at the Southern Baptist Convention and say, you guys, your mission enterprise is the envy of the world. Nobody supports missionaries the way that you do. No one is able to accomplish what you do. And they're right. And the reason that I say they're right is simply because this. We have been able to do so much by moving money from local churches, pooling it together in one big pool, and then dispensing it out through all the various endeavors that we're a part of. People want to know, well, how does this thing work? How did it come together? It came together because we were just like everybody else. We were struggling to get our ministries done and get them funded adequately at every level. So how does it work? Simple. Starts with each one of us determining to be a disciple of the Lord, to honor him with our tithes, our offerings, our gifts. We honor him. We give ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. The church decides what to do next. It moves money forward through the channel of the cooperative program, moving it to the state convention. The state conventions then move it forward from there to Nashville, which, by the way, headquarters of the SBC is not in Nashville. Headquarters of the SBC is right here. The local church runs the convention. The convention does not run the churches. All right? And then we dispense that money out. This is just kind of a a chart to show you what the budget of the SBC looks like based on percentages. Okay, if I put dollar amounts up there, we couldn't get all the numbers on the page. But just looking at the percentages so you can kind of see what it does. It unites us in in a ministry of purpose. And when I say a ministry of purpose, you, you see up there it says World Missions Ministry, North American Mission Board, International Mission Board, Theological Education. Those are the things that we're really about. Now, understand something. When you see 2.99 SBC operating budget, less than $3 out of every 100, less than 3% of every dollar that is given is used to take care of the overhead, the meetings, the travel, everything that has to be done in order to operate the Southern Baptist Convention. So what exactly does this thing do? We've got over 11,000 missionaries scattered across this land and around the world. Varying levels of support, but this is how we have, listen, we've got a family sitting right here that has kids in Africa. Those kids receive compensation. Those kids are insured. Those kids are able to come home in crisis times and return back to the field because of the money that comes through the cooperative program and funds the International Mission Board. We've got some folks sitting in this congregation today who have in the past received funding from the North American Mission Board for the ministries and the works that they have done here in this area or in other cities across this land. Where do all these people come from? Can I tell you where they come from? Your seminaries. You've got six seminaries scattered across the land from California all the way over to the East Coast at Southeastern. Everywhere in between. You've got them. 
Six seminaries. And right now you have over 22,000 students who are preparing themselves to be engaged in missions or ministry at some level in the local church and in the denomination. This is how you help pay for that. Say, how does that work? Let me explain something to you. John, you can raise your hand and say amen if you want to. I'm a product of CP. All right. I went to a private Christian university, Southern Baptist School, got it, Brooke. And, and, and that school, even though our funds from here don't fund it, that school was built by cooperative program dollars from another state convention that owns it. After I left there, I went and I worked on my master's degree at a Southern Baptist seminary and completed that work. Understand something, that education cost me about 50% of what it would for anybody else or if I had gone to any other school because cooperative program dollars underwrite about 50% of that cost. Just a few years ago, I completed my doctorate at one of our seminaries, same thing. It would have cost me at least twice as much and maybe three times as much had I gone to a school that was not owned and operated by Southern Baptist and in part funded by cooperative program dollars. And so when I say that, please understand something. I'm saying to you, thank you. Thank you. Because through your giving, you invested in my education and in my ministry. Thank you on behalf of the Wentz. Because the mission and the ministry that's being done in Africa today, you helped fund part of that whenever you got them their education. And now you're funding it while they're there serving you. On behalf of John, thank you. On behalf of Andrew, thank you. Everyone else who has attended a Southern Baptist Seminary, Lauren, thank you. You've made it possible for us to be equipped to do the ministry that we do. And we thank you for that. But it's not just about educating and it's not just about missions and getting people. Do you know that we also have some, some folks in Washington, D.C. who are fighting for our causes? I feel so good about that because I think Washington, D.C. is a swamp. And I am so thankful that we have dropped a little sunshine into the darkness of Washington, D.C. We have there the Religious and Ethics Liberty and, I, and Liberties Commission. I want you to know that they are their representative. Whenever a debate comes up about abortion issues, they are there. When issues come up about euthanasia, end-of-life issues, they are there. When issues come up that affect any moral or ethical issue, they are there representing what we as Southern Baptists believe and what we stand upon. You say, well, I don't necessarily agree with everything you do. I'm sorry, you'll get it right one of these days. Just read the Word of God and let that direct your conscience, and my friend, you'll be there before long. Now, I want you to understand something. 2018... Out of the 430-something churches that make up the Southern Baptist Convention of Kansas and Nebraska, Believer Southern Baptist Church gave the ninth highest amount of money through CP. Now, I just want you to know something. Say People, put, people say, why would you put that up there? Because I am proud of what you've done. I am proud that God has blessed you and that you have been faithful to move that money forward because that is how we are funding missions and ministry and people all around the world. I think it's an amazing, amazing thing. But let's not stop there. Let's also realize this. Since 2002, this is not an old congregation, by the way. I know some of y'all looked around saying, well, you look old. We may look old, but we are not an old congregation as a church. Since 2002, when Believer Southern Baptist Church began to contribute and be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention through the cooperative program, this church has given over $791,000 
through CP. You have a stake in everything that the Southern Baptist Convention does. But people say, well, I look and I see in the, in the worship folder this, this thing called a world missions offering. What's that about? Our world missions offering is a three-legged stool, all right? And I'm going to explain that to you because there are three legs that hold it all up. So far, if you looked in your worship folder this morning, you'd find that to date the giving to the world missions offering is $32,723.90. What does that mean? That means that you have given that amount of dollars and it is being divided out among three different missions offerings, okay? Now, I want you to get this. I want you to see. Last year, through the World Missions Offering and your cooperative program giving, that's how much you gave, $114,460 from this church, from you sitting in this room. Folks, that's faithfulness. That's moving it forward. That's understanding that it's bigger than just this building. There are three legs to this stool. The first one is our Lottie Moon International Missions Offering. Now, I'm going to point to our students right now and say, hey, heads up. See that lady? Yeah, y'all saw her at Falls Creek this year. Somebody thought it was the girl from the Adams family. No. This is an early Southern Baptist missionary, Lottie Moon. She went to China. She served there for decades. She invested her life in making the name of Jesus known on the continent of China in that mainland region where the gospel has now been shut down. She tried to come home when she got ill in her elderly years. Didn't make it. She died aboard ship in Japan in a harbor. She's buried in China. Chinese Christians every year make pilgrimages to come and lay flowers at her grave. They realize what she gave in order to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Whenever you put a dollar into our world missions offering, 40 cents of that dollar is going to be forwarded to the Lottie Moon International Missions Offering. Now please understand something. The money that goes there, it goes to the International Mission Board. They're also funded through the cooperative program, but that 40 cents... Every dollar that comes in designated Lottie Moon, not one penny of that money is taken out for administrative costs. Every penny of it goes forward to the missionaries out in the field to meet their needs and supply for ministry needs that they otherwise would not be able to deal with. I just want you to know something. That's an amazing investment. I dare you, I challenge you to find any ministry that can make that claim. I dare you. You can't find it. Last year, this church, among all of the 425-plus churches in our convention, number four. Folks, I applaud your faithfulness, but more than that, I promise you, there are people around the world who are being touched by your generosity. Don't take that lightly, and don't think it's time to let up on that. The second part of that, that stool, the second leg, is Annie Armstrong. It's a home missions offering. It funds the North American Mission Board. Same thing is true with it. Now, a lot of things I can move forward. Here, 30% of every dollar that you give to World Missions Offering is going to go to this offering. Okay? 30 cents out of every dollar. Annie Armstrong was born, raised, lived her life in Baltimore. But she was there during the Civil War years. She saw the plight of freed slaves who came to live in the North who lived in poverty. She saw what was happening to Native Americans who were living in poverty in, in the East as well as across the continent. 
And she had a burden for that. And so she began to work and move people to work in missions, not just on the other side of the world, but right here in North America. That's the reason this offering was named after her. Last year, Southern Baptist gave a record amount, $62.2 million. And again, not one penny comes out for administrative costs. We've already got the North American Mission Board. The administrative ability is already there and taken care of and funded through the cooperative program. It all goes to the missionaries and the mission work and the church planting and the work that's being done. Last year, out of the 425 plus churches, you were second in our convention in giving to Annie Armstrong. Again, I applaud you for your generosity, your faithfulness, and understand that there are people's lives being impacted in Kansas and Nebraska because of those gifts that you've made. The third leg of that stool is a little lady named Viola Webb. Now, there are some people in this room that knew Viola Webb. Viola Webb went home to be with the Lord in 2009. She was a Baptist minister's wife who moved up here from Texas and got engaged in, in Kansas, Nebraska work and realized there was a lot of missions to be done right here in these two states. And she began to challenge the churches and challenge individuals to be engaged, to get involved, to give sacrificially so that the work could move forward in these two states in what was then called a pioneer area. It still, in many ways, is very different from the South, isn't it, Brother John? If you've been in the South, you understand churches are more established. Less help is required. People stand on their own two feet. Churches can do a lot of things. When you come here, a lot of times we've got to get together and do it because a lot of our churches aren't strong enough to do it on their own. And a lot of the funding for that comes through the Viola Webb State Missions Offering. Again, 30% of every dollar that you give to the World Missions Offering, this is where it goes. Does that make a difference? Well, I would say it would because last year, out of the 425 plus churches, this church gave more to the Viola Webb State Missions Offering than any other church. Again, a testimony to your faithfulness. Does it all mean anything? Yeah, it does. It means that you do believe in missions. And you do believe in the mission of the kingdom of God. Now, Having said that, I wanted to share this with you. I'm a bad person when it comes to keeping track of things. I'm not a good numbers guy, but even I could add these numbers up. This year, our church turned 19 years old. To the best of my findings, we've been giving through the cooperative program for 17 years now, perhaps 18. But through the cooperative program and the World Missions Offering, you as a church have given in excess of a million dollars to support missions and ministry from this place. All I can say is, wow. You've done that and you've built buildings and you've paid off buildings and you've knocked on doors and you've reached people and you've loved folks into the kingdom of God and you've watched them baptized and, and you... God has blessed in so many ways. It's just mind-boggling. And I, that's what this is all about. It's not about throwing numbers at you or trying to confuse you. It's I want you to understand there's a reason for what we do. You know where it all starts? Right here. I spent eight years as your pastor serving on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, flying back and forth between here and Nashville, here in convention meetings. And it was great. I, listen, I enjoyed the fellowship. I made some new friends that are, are going to last a lifetime. It was marvelous. But I learned so much in that time. 
But the one thing I came home more impressed about than anything else was something I've already said to you, and I'm going to repeat because I want to make sure you get it. Because I had people ask me every year at some point during the year, someone would ask me within this congregation, well, when do you fly to the headquarters next? I don't fly to the headquarters. When I flew to Nashville, I was going to check on my employees. I don't fly to the headquarters. I get in my vehicle and I drive to headquarters every workday. Because this is headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention. They work for us, those people in those entities. Those professors at the seminary that some of you all look at and say, oh, he has a PhD. Yeah, you own him. He's your employee. That preacher that stands in the pulpit, you say, oh, yeah, he used to pastor a church over in Arkansas that ran tens of thousands. Yeah, he's your employee. This is headquarters. And I don't want you to ever forget that. See, the vision begins right here. And it all starts at Believer's Baptist Church with our local church budget. That's where it starts. And if I were standing in a pulpit in another Southern Baptist church in Kansas or Nebraska, I'd say the name of that church because that's where it starts. It all begins in the local congregation. When we give on a Sunday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, yes, I stand down here and I, sometimes I say the same words to you. Some of you, I see you lipping along with me. I'm so proud of that. You've learned You've actually learned it. I hope that it's not just in your lips. I hope that it's in your head and in your heart, but you've learned. We're supposed to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's about time and talent and testimony. It's about energy and effort and involvement. We are where it begins. God spoke to the Israelites about this in Malachi. I know y'all are familiar with it. You've seen it, you've heard it so many times, but that's what the Lord said. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't even have room enough for it. What an amazing promise from God. I've given to you. Now I'm going to check. Are you going to be faithful to do what I ask you to do? And if you do, be ready because I am going to bless you in abundance. It's God's promise. That's not a health and wealth thing. That's just God's word. And a lot of people try to get around that. They say, well, you know, I, I, I can't do that. I, I don't make very much. I want to tell you something. Learn from experience. I will give you an ironclad promise, and I will challenge you. Try it for three months and see if I'm lying to you. You honor God. You do what he asks you to do. You bring 10% to the house of God and just give it to him. I'm not talking about, you know, hang on to it, grit your teeth, and pinch it. I'm, turn loose of it and say, it's yours, God. You ask for it, here it is. And you tell me at the end of three months, if you can't do better on 90% than you ever did on 100. I'm just telling you, people, it works. People say, well, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But God does. And what he says will happen, happens. And I could sit here and tell you story after story after story and keep you here all day long explaining to you how I have seen God do things that don't make any sense. But he does them.
if we're faithful. Well, I don't have to, preacher. That's in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament age of grace. Yes, we do. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who ushered us into that New Testament era of grace, is the very one who looked at those who were before him and said, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. We don't do it because it's law. We do it because of love. We love him, but we know that he first loved us and called us according to his purpose. People say, well, why should I bring it to the church? Why don't I send it to that guy I watch on TV or, or that fellow I listen to on my podcast? And I would just challenge you, go back to where we started in Matthew chapter 28. Because you see, when Jesus was speaking those words, you, you remember, what, what, what did I call that? The what? Oh, thank you. I'm so proud of y'all. The Great Commission. When Jesus spoke those words, do you know who he was speaking to? The church. He was speaking to the church that was there assembled. They didn't know they were the church yet. They hadn't been given that name yet, but that's what they were. He gave that mission, that ministry to the church to go and share the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them. That means to, to disciple them. And he told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you are. And in all Judea, that's, that's like the county. And Samaria, that, that spreads it out even further. And he said, even to the very ends of the earth. We're not big enough to do that, preacher. That's a big mission. We're a little church. Now, let me just correct two things for you. Number one, we are not a little church. Some of y'all been in little churches. You know what I'm talking about. There are some little churches out there. This is not a little church. Second thing I'm going to tell you is this. Size of the church is not determined by the number of people in it. Size of the church is determined by the faith of the people in it. It's not about how big or how little we are. It's about how powerful our God is. It starts here. It goes out. That's why we do what we do. Friends, 14 plus years I've been here as your pastor now. Now, I know some of y'all are saying, really? You've been here that long? And some of you are saying, Lord, is that all it's been? <laughs> we've seen some hard times and we've seen some great days. But never have we seen God not meet needs. There have been times when we didn't meet budget. But we were never confronted with a need that God didn't provide for and I believe that that is true in every case, in every instance, in every situation. But I want you to understand something. There are billions of people still waiting to hear the name of Jesus. If you bothered to read my column in the worship folder this morning, you understand. There are lots, there are thousands of people groups that have not heard the gospel, that no one has even gone to them yet. No one is trying to go to them yet. They're waiting there are thousands of people who can't even pick up a copy of Scripture in their own language. They're waiting. This is not a time 
to sit back and get comfortable and say, oh, we've got some chairs to fill. We're okay. We'll just take care of business here. No. No. My heart is thrilled when missionaries come back from the field and tell us how God is moving and working. My heart, my heart is busting because over the last several years, I've witnessed several of our students say, I think God may be calling me. We've sent them on mission trips. They're coming back. They're excited. They're engaged. We've got one who's leaving us in a few months, and I'm excited what God is going to do in her, with her, through her. I'm excited when we hear that God is moving all over the world. We have got to engage here, and we've got to make it happen. Plane tickets aren't free. Meals cost food. This is where it starts. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready to be a part of this bigger kingdom vision that stretches beyond these walls, that stretches even beyond the Southern Baptist Convention and takes in kingdom ministry all over the world? I want to challenge you. Don't slow down. Don't get comfortable. Don't back up and sit down and say, I did my part. Realize that there are people. Some of them are on the other side of the world. Some of them are right across the street from where you live. And they are waiting to hear one simple message. Jesus saves. He changed my life. And I know he's changed many of your lives. He's ready to do it for them. The question is, will we do our part? Or will we let someone else have that blessing. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment, of invitation. I know somebody's going to think to themselves, what in the world can you invite us to from that message? So let me make it easy for you. If you're my brother or sister in Christ, Are you doing what God has laid on your heart to do? Or is there something more? Maybe you've been wrestling, trying to figure out. You know there's a ministry. There's something you're supposed to be engaged in. You haven't found it yet. You're searching. I I just want to encourage you. Pray. Ask God. Ask questions. Ask me. Ask other people around you. Maybe there's a ministry in this church. Or maybe there's a ministry connected to our convention. Maybe there's something you need to be connected to. And God's trying to lead you to it. I, I challenge you. Let him show you where and how. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you need to hear this. Jesus does save. He saved me. I was a kid headed down the wrong road when he called my name. He helped me to understand that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and I couldn't change my destination. 
but he could. And he called me to himself, and I came to him in faith and repentance, and I trusted him. I have not been perfect. I am not perfect. But he changed my destination. And I'd have been thrilled if that was what God had for me. But he wasn't done. He called me to serve him. He called me to preach the God. He trusted me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe it. After 40-some years, I still don't believe it. How blessed am I? You know what? He's waiting to bless each one of you. Because he has a ministry and a calling and a purpose for every person. The question is, will you hear his voice? You'll never get into that ministry. You'll never get to that place until you first establish a relationship with him. If you don't have that today, I'm pleading with you today. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying you're worse than anybody. Scripture says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. But it also says this, you're not too bad for him. It's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants you to be his child. If he's calling you this morning, I invite you, come. Folks, let the mission begin this morning right here. And let's let the ministry flow out the doors, out of our hearts, out of our mouths. And let's see what our Lord does. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A reminder that you've invited us to partner with you in the ministry you have of reconciling the world to yourself through your son, Christ Jesus. You've called us. You've called us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we plead with those who hear that they would repent and come to God. Father, I pray that you would place a sense of that role upon every one of your children in this room. And if there are those in this room who do not know you today, Father, I pray you'd call them to yourself. Lord, help them to understand you know them better than they know themselves. Even before they were conceived, before they were born, before their first breath and their first cry, you already knew their name. Father, I pray today, call them. Give them ears to hear, hearts that are ready to surrender, to discover your plan and your will for their lives. Lord, bind us together that we might become a mighty army moving forward to accomplish the will of our King. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.